So I need to begin this morning by uh, explaining the way I sound, especially for those who are either new or are visiting with us this Easter. If you receive my my weekly column, you already know this. Uh, I had pretty major jaw surgery uh, 10 days ago. (laughs) And I mean like major. If you were here last Sunday and happened to notice me sitting on the chancel, I thought I was going to die. I feel great now, but I'm kind of talking funny. I won't go into the gory details of that surgery unless you are really into that kind of thing. Then we can go to coffee and I can show you the gap between my teeth and all that. Uh, But there's a lot going on in here right now. So I know the timing was not ideal. It could not be avoided. Like everything though, this too shall pass and I'll be uh, good as new at some point in the not too distant future. But I was very much fretting having preaching my first sermon with a bunch of metal in my mouth on Easter Sunday for obvious reasons. And I was worried that I would sound like a combination of uh, Don Corleone (laughs) from The Godfather. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. That's exactly what I sounded like this time last week. Uh, And then two characters from the Looney Tunes cartoons that I grew up on, Daffy Duck and Sylvester the Cat. Sylvester, of course, um, is the one who had that catchphrase, suffering succotash. And I can do a pretty good impression of Sylvester. Sorry for the front row, it's kind of the splash zone right now. (laughs) Now my hope is that I don't sound um, quite that bad this morning, Um, but if some of my words sound a little funny on this Easter, now you know why. Uh, Thank you in advance for your indulgence. So to help me out on this first sermon with metal in my mouth, my two sons have agreed to read the scripture for us today. First up is our youngest son, Sam. He is going to be reading the first half of the scripture. This is going to be John chapter 20, verses 1 through halfway through verse 11. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist John, and read by Sam. Early... Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, and he did not, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, buddy. So all of my life, I have been drawn to epic hero stories. Uh, I think most of us are, at least on some level. uh, If you think long enough about it, chances are there's some epic story of one kind or another that has drawn you in. And maybe that's been in the movies or maybe it's been in some classic book series or uh, maybe a a comic book saga. 
there's something particularly compelling about investing yourself, investing your time and your energy in some uh, epic tale. Now for me, that began in a theater on an early summer afternoon in 1977. I was seven years old. At the time, we went to the theater uh, and we were just expecting this, you know, sort of typical summer movie extravaganza with the, the overpriced popcorn, the overpriced candy, overpriced Coke. Uh, but then, after the previews were finished, we were invited into an epic um, that has been part of my life ever since. I'm 52 years old. I don't know how many times I've seen that movie. And every time my heart starts racing when I hear those, those opening notes. I, I was totally captivated from that moment on. And this, this story has uh, occupied much of my childhood brain space. I had a, an album on vinyl with the soundtrack of the original film by John Williams. I had trading cards and the, the toy figures, of course, and the accessories. Our parents bought my little brother and me the, the commemorative glasses from Burger King. Y'all remember those? <laughs> okay, uh, this is my favorite character, Han Solo. I mean, undoubtedly the best character in the series, right? And that's from Return of the Jedi. My mother sent me this picture last week. We're like, we still are using this in our house. 40 years later, it's held up pretty well. The beauty of the Star Wars saga is that they've kept it alive now for 45 years, right? The prequels and the sequels, uh, the streaming series, the, the standalone movies. When The Force Awakens came out back in um, December of 2015, my wife Whitney and the boys and I went to see it in the theater, of course, a couple of times. And I, I literally cheered out loud when those opening notes played and the opening crawl began because there's this great um, emotional power in ep an epic narrative like Star Wars. Now, listen, Star Wars may not be your thing. I get it. It can be a lot. Uh, but chances are there is some epic story somewhere along the way that has captured your imagination. The Lord of the Rings is another example. You know, there's one generation that fell in love with the books after World War II, written a long time ago, while another generation fell in love with the movies half a century later. This past year, yet a new generation was introduced to this epic story in a streaming miniseries. I first read the books during COVID, this uh, epic tale that has uh, captivated so many millions of people over so many years in so many ways, and it, it did not disappoint. And near the beginning of the saga in the second chapter of the first book, so the Fellowship of the Rings, Gandalf tells Frodo something that, that strikes me as a profound um, and poignant theological and existential truth. And it's an idea that, that sort of sets the stage for the rest of the epic that unfolds. He says, all we have to decide is what to do 
with the time that is given us. That decision makes all the difference in our lives. What to do with the time that is given to us. If sci-fi and fantasy aren't your things, maybe you've connected with uh, the superhero genre or Indiana Jones or James Bond. I, I bet there's something for us all. In the Dowd household, there's an epic story that we've come to love as a family, uh, both through the books and the movies. It's one of those epic narratives that makes you emotional when it comes to a close. Hopefully you've had the pleasure of reading one of those kinds of uh, sagas because reading the, the final page becomes like bidding fair well to an old beloved friend. The Harry Potter saga is the story of an orphan who uh, opens the first book in a cupboard under the stairs, but who by the end has experienced a kind of death and resurrection in his battle to defeat evil. In the decades to come, I imagine that, that Harry and Hermione and Ron will be for my kids what Luke and Leia and Han were for me. And in their case, uh, that epic story comes with the books and the movies and the Legos. Oh my goodness, the Legos. Anybody else have Harry Potter Legos in their house? And the wizard robes and the magic wands and the theme parks and all of the, the fond memories that come uh, with an epic walk with these really beautifully drawn characters. There's actually an entire branch of literary scholarship devoted to understanding why stories like these capture us so, captivate us so, especially when it comes to a, a type of story called the hero's journey. There's a scholar named Joseph Campbell who wrote a classic book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, and that's a book that famously influenced George Lucas when he was writing Star Wars. And here's what Campbell says, a hero or a heroine ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to offer blessings to their fellow human beings. So, a transformative journey during which a victory is won that leads to the blessings of others. The power of the hero's journey is that it draws us into the narrative, it, it immerses us in the story, and crucially, it invites us to consider the possibility of a hero's journey of our own. All of which, if you ask me, is a, a fitting metaphor for the heroine of our story for today. Now, as Christians, we believe that, of course, Easter changed the world, right? Jesus' birth, his ministry, his miracles, his healing, his teaching, and his sacrificial death are all essential parts of the story. Of course, his is a story that we tell and that we retell and that we find ourselves in and that we try to live by as best we can. But it was his resurrection from the dead that vindicated it all. It was his resurrection from the dead that conquered the powers of sin and death forever. It was his resurrection from the dead that launched the movement that changed the world and continues to change it so long as we allow God to work through us. And of all the people, of all the people to hear and tell that good news first, God chose a woman named Mary Magdalene. 
My oldest son, Max, will finish the reading now. This is uh, John chapter 20. We'll pick up halfway through that 11th verse and continue through verse 18. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to them, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. One of the things that is uh, most compelling about the hero's journey is that it is so often the story of the unlikeliest heroes. So when we meet Luke Skywalker, he's this restless orphan teenager who's kind of living in the middle of nowhere with his aunt and uncle on some backwater planet at the far edge of the galaxy. In Lord of the Rings, uh, it's easy to think of Frodo the Hobbit on the left as the hero. And if he was, that would be unlikely enough. I mean, the other characters in the story, the kings and the wizards and the warriors are far more um, fitting, uh, maybe predictable, acceptable heroes. But J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, actually said that the chief hero was Frodo's faithful friend on the right, Samwise Gangee, not the not the little guy who would be the unlikely hero, but the little guy's sidekick. <laughs> when we meet Harry Potter, he's living in a cupboard under the stairs. He's a, a despised and rejected orphan in his mean-spirited aunt and uncle's home. He's, he's hardly the type who can save the world from the worst evil imaginable. But the thing about God is uh, that God rarely chooses the most obvious candidates to change the world. <laughs> From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is filled with unlikely heroes who end up transforming the world, and the story of that first Easter is no different. The only place in the Gospels where Mary Magdalene is actually described, the only place where we get any sense of her story is in Luke chapter eight, verse two. Luke tells us that Mary Magdalene was one of the women who had been healed of evil spirits. In fact, Luke tells us that she had had seven demons, demons that Jesus had cast out. And on the one hand, what an incredible story to have been saved from, from seven demons. On the other hand, I'm guessing that everyone else would have kept an eye on her from that point on, right? She's not the one you'd want to be caught alone with on a dark and stormy night, I'm guessing. She's healed, but she's uh, surely stigmatized. And yet, the, the formerly seven demon-possessed woman was the first person to see the risen Lord. 
Because God sees in us what we cannot. God knows that we are capable of so much more than we can even dream. God sees the hero's journey that we're capable of long before we do. And so the unlikeliest hero was called by God to be the first witness of the most incredible thing God has ever done, the resurrection. And not just that, she was called by God to be the first preacher of the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, John tells us, went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Which is to say, God chose Mary Magdalene to be the apostle to the apostles. That's what the church has always called her. And then the the apostles preached the gospel near and far. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, they built a movement that is still changing lives here in Plano, Texas on Easter in 2023. It is no exaggeration to say that God used Mary Magdalene to change the world. Now, of course, there is so much more to say about Jesus, right? All that he meant all that he means, all that he will mean until he comes again someday. But we have the rest of the year to talk about that. Come back next week, we'll talk more about the ministry of Jesus. But today, we're focused on the spark that started it all. (laughs) And it seems to me as truly amazing as the story of Mary Magdalene is, and she is truly remarkable. The open question of Easter is actually about you and your story. How will your story become part of the epic that God began at the empty tomb? Because the whole point of Christianity is that when we place our faith in Jesus, the resurrected Christ lives within us. When we believe in him, we become part of the body of Christ in the world. When we make Christ our Lord, a journey of transformation begins a journey that inspires us and changes us and gives us the victory over sin and death and then blesses us so that we might be a blessing to others. In other words, being a Christian is a a transformative journey (laughs) during which a victory is won that leads to the blessing of others. Which means that wherever you are on your journey of faith, old-timer, newcomer, skeptic, paragon of the faith, unlikeliest of heroes, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, the message of Easter has been the same for almost 2,000 years now. He is risen to break the power of sin and death in our lives. He is risen to conquer the grave forever. He is risen so that you can be too He has risen to call you to your own journey of faith, to transformation and discipleship, to meaning and purpose that is not possible otherwise. It's a story that that begins at the empty tomb and ends in eternity with God. Easter means that you personally are invited to be part of God's greatest epic. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. May God be with you on the way. Amen.